0: Good morning, Chapel Point. It is good to have you here today. Uh, We're in the middle of this series that you already know about. It's called Conquer. Uh, We're looking at the message to the seven churches there in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so as we look at that, we're looking at the city of Philadelphia, the church there in Philadelphia today, talking about fatigue. And I do want to remind you, especially if this is your first time visiting here at Chapel Point, I want to show you a map We're just going to jump into some stuff right away. Uh, I want you to see this map of uh, where these churches are located. Many of you have already seen this before, but I still think it's healthy for us to have a clear understanding of where all these really were. So you see the Mediterranean Sea there. If you go far right, you see where Israel is. You can see Jerusalem and Caesarea. Uh, But if you go to Crete, the island there, if you go right above that, to the right of that, you can right above and just to the right, okay, go to about one uh, o'clock, right there where Creed is, and very faintly you can see the names of the seven churches, and so we're at Philadelphia today, next week we'll be at the very last one, Laodicea, Uh, and Philadelphia is a a place that really we think about, and it's pretty unique, Uh, there's a a church that was existing there that was very poor, it was a small church, uh, didn't have any important people within it, we think about that as well and yet here it is Some pictures for you to better see modern day what it would look like. Um, that right there is an old Byzantine church uh, from roughly about 15 or 1600 years ago. Uh, another one of some of those vineyards that I was speaking about as you drive up through a valley and you go to the city there in Philadelphia. Uh, something interesting about this city is it was around 17, so about 17 years after the birth of Christ. Um, It's when Tiberius Caesar was reigning. There was this major earthquake. It devastated the city. Oh, there I am. I'm in the back, by the way. I decided to give you guys a better view. Now, this is what I mean by that. Um, Last week, I asked you guys to change seats if you were here. Anybody remember that? How many of you went back to your old seat today? All of you. And I don't really care that you went back to your old seat. I really don't. Um, it was nice, and nice having more of you up front. But the reason I mention that and I bring that up to you is because um, I really think that where we're sitting changes our view. And I'm not talking about in this service. But where we're sitting, how we look at scripture, and where you're sitting in terms of when you look at Jesus, it matters. And some of us are sitting so far away from Jesus, and yet we're trying to understand who he is. But we don't have the courage to sit closer to him, and maybe we can see the wrinkles around his eyes. And we can see more of who he really is. That was the church in Philadelphia. Here's the, and I've been thinking and processing this church so much, because again, there's no condemnation. We're, last week we were in Sardis. He had nothing good to say about Sardis. Who had all the gold and all this wealth, yet they had been conquered numerous times, right? He had nothing good to say. Now we come to this, this, this church in Philadelphia who has no money and very little people. It's small. And yet he has nothing but great things to say about them. And it's because I think that they were sitting closer to Jesus. It's the easiest way for me to describe it. I think they had a different view of who God was, a different view of who Jesus was. They had a different perspective. They knew they were there to serve him rather than God serving them. And it isn't, if we're honest, sometimes isn't that what we want? We want to, even in our prayers, we're calling out to God to do for us, to serve us. And so my request for us today is that we change locations, not physically, don't worry. Not physically, but that we change locations in terms of maybe how we're seeing Jesus. And that can be challenging. That can be a hard thing to do because we've looked at him the same way the entirety of our lives, for some of us. And yet maybe we need to get up and move a little closer. And I think that's relevant for us today because I think that's who Philadelphia really was. And so here's this city again, it's, it's something that was small, not much wealth, no important people, and yet they served faithfully. And as I was saying, as the camera hit me while I go from the back, around 17 years after the birth of Christ, there was such a severe earthquake that struck, it devastated the entire region. In fact, it was so bad that Tiberius Caesar actually told them they were the one place that didn't have to pay taxes at the time because it hurt the city so much. Now, of course, that created a response from the people there in Philadelphia because they no longer had to pay taxes at that time because the earthquake was so severe. They decided to go ahead and to adopt the worship of the Roman emperor. That was a really hard thing to to recognize, right? All of a sudden, someone gifts them with not having to pay taxes, and so many of them adopted the worship of the Roman emperor. And so it's, I'm not saying that the Philadelphia, the city as a whole, was doing great things for God. But the church there, though it was small, was being faithful. They, they didn't adopt that worship. They were remaining faithful at all times. It's really remarkable to see how faithful they were as they moved forward. It was a city that was founded uh, 200 years before Jesus Christ. And so when this letter is being written to them, they're about 300 years old. Now, we know if you've ever studied history uh, before in your life, um, all civilizations that really take off and do wonderful things, they last about 200 to 300 years. And then they get too full of themselves, and so they fall apart. Welcome to the United States of America. I'm serious. Study history, it's not complicated. And so that's what's happening. And here they've been around for, when they received this message, roughly, Domitian was the ruler, he was Caesar at that time. And it's about 60 years after the death of Jesus Christ, roughly around 60 years. So here he's coming in. This city is about 300 years old. He's writing this letter to this small church saying, you're remaining faithful. Thank you so much. We know that Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. Right? If you go there today, I don't think you would experience very much brotherly love. No offense to anybody from Philadelphia. I just know that the sports fans are really mean to other people. But that's what it means, brotherly love. And they had a deep love for each other because they had a deep love, first and foremost, for Christ. The Jews and the Christians in Philadelphia, they were doing this. They were at odds with one another. That wasn't always the case, but it is Uh, certainly during this time period. They were at odds with one another. They weren't caring for each other the way that they should. They were resenting each other and one another at all times. And yet here's this church that we learn so much from. So much from. In fact, I want to go ahead and begin by reading in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I'd love for you to open up there. It's the last book in the Bible. If you don't know Revelation, you can turn to that. Some of you are going, okay, what do you really think about the Bible? Uh, Even recently, somebody's reminded me, a lot of people believe that this is just some good sayings. Um, This is some good sayings, but it's far more than good sayings. Uh, Here at Chapel Point, we believe that this in its entirety is the Word of God. And so we want to live our life by it. We want to receive its instructions. We want to be able to learn it and not only have it in our mind, but allow it to tattoo our heart in terms of the significance of it and and how we live our life. And so when we say let's open up in the word of God, we're saying that this is something that God not only gave to the people then, but it's eternal. It never changes because God never changes. And so it's something that we take in and it's very serious for us here at Chapel Point. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he's writing, and sending these messages. These are the words of Christ. That's why they're in red. The penmanship of John being sent as messages to these churches. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and following, this is how it begins. He says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, Who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Immediately you start to see the works of the Holy One. Verse 7. The works of the Holy One. The true one who has the key of David. Really talking and speaking about the key of David. is saying, I have authority. They would have thought they would have they would have heard the key of David and they're thinking about King David that's how vital how crucial he was this hero of faith and who he was as the greatest king that they ever had and yet he's writing such words to say I am the one who has authority I am the holy One, I am the true one and he says that I am the one who opens the door to the church and he's letting, he's reminding them guys if you really want To be faithful, you need to know that I am the only door that you can walk through. There is no back door. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no back door to the Heavenly Father. There is one door. The door's name is Jesus. That's why we look at the word here, the scripture, the authority of it. And it matters to us so deeply. It impacts us in such radical ways. He's saying, I am the one Who has authority. A lot of people believe that these verses clearly allude to Isaiah chapter 22, which speaks of one who has David's key to open and to shut. That's in Isaiah chapter 22. You know, when I'm reading this, I recognize as he's speaking about being the door, a door has no use if it's not used. Right? It has no use. If it's not used, yesterday I had the joy of officiating a ceremony, a wedding ceremony. Uh, it was for Erin Klein. She goes to church here, her parents, are members, um, and uh, it was so much fun to be able to do. It was delayed a little bit because um, it, it wasn't sprinkling. Let's just say that. It was over in Rockford at a beautiful barn. It was pouring. And so literally, I saw a little kid trying to get into the barn to get dry, and he couldn't find the door. He's like, where do I get in? I said, it's in the front of the barn, dude. (laughs) And so a door's no good if it's not used. And I think so many of us are standing out in the rain. We're standing in the middle of a storm called life. And we wonder why we're drenched, why we're wet all the time, why we're miserable all the time, why we're cold all the time. And it's because we're not using the right door. I can't encourage you enough, I think that's what Philadelphia even shows us, is that they were willing to walk through the door. They never relinquished the authority of who Jesus Christ was. They continually saw his worth and the authority that he had, the power of who he was, and they walked through the door and they remained faithful to him. That was the church in Philadelphia. Even though the things around them were falling apart and others are worshiping the Roman emperor and everything else that's taking place, they remained faithful and as a result, they didn't stand in the storm anymore. They walked in from the storm and they worshiped him. didn't mean things didn't get difficult at times, but they walked through the door and they were sheltered by the hand of God. The church recognized who he was. And his message as a result of that was a message of warmth and it was a message of compassion. He says, I know your works. Go to verse 8 right there. You can open up, just look at that one verse. He says, I know your works. Let me remind you now that God knows your works. He knows who you are. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your mind. He knows your actions. He knows everything you're doing. You're not being secretive when it comes to who you are and then who God sees you to be. He knows who you are. He knows your works. You can think that you're doing, you can Think that you're doing things behind closed doors, but you're not. God knows who you are. And he tells them, I know your works. And he encourages them that he is the one unchanging upon whom that they could depend. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Meaning that I'm not going anywhere, guys. He's reminding them of his power. And so here is this small church of believers. Who I think often felt small. Who often felt powerless. They had no prestige. They had no worldly value in many ways. But here they are being commended and reminded of the greatness of Jesus Christ. In fact, they just didn't ever give up. This is a church that never gave up. They always stood for Christ no matter what. Right? They they were so consistent. People ask me, they're like, what do you think the key of parenting is? I love to teach on being a husband but also a father. And people ask me sometimes, what's the key to being a a good parent? And I tell them um, that I'm still figuring a lot of things out. But I will also tell them that I think it's about consistency. I think a lot of it deals with consistency. A consistency in learning and memorizing scripture, a consistency in discipline, a consistency in the way that you speak to them and with them, I think a lot of it deals with consistency. And I think about this church, I view this church who didn't have things easy all of the time, but I see a church that was consistent. They were just that faithful. They just kept doing the right thing. I know that sometimes as parents, that can be tiring when you're just fed up with it and you want to yell at them and say, it's it's 10 o'clock, go to bed, or the wrath of Joel will come. And you want to tell them that, but you can't. You guys, we've already spoken about this. Um, You need to go to bed right now. Um, Otherwise, um, monsters will come in the middle of the night. What did I say wrong? Uh, But you want to try to be consistent in that. And I think this is a church that modeled it. This was a church that modeled, think about your own life. In fact, I want you to move away from thinking of the church in Philadelphia, and I want you to think about yourself and where you are in faith right now, because here's what has really just kind of come within me as I've been processing this message to the church in Philadelphia, is I think it's as much for the individual. I think every single person in this room right now, at some point in your life, has felt small and weak and worthless at some point at some place walking through your life you have probably felt that way anybody with me right you've all been there and yet here comes jesus and he's letting them know i'm not going anywhere and i'm praising the heavenly father for your faithfulness i think it's encouraging to know that we can remain faithful in a world that is hard and difficult and even though you don't think you have any value jesus is coming in and saying you do isn't that good news? And we need to receive that news. We need to allow ourselves to absorb it. So many times I have spoken with people in counseling and they talk about the struggles they have and their, their, feeling of, or their lack of feeling of worth, of value. And I tell them how God really sees them. And they hear these amazing words from God's truth, but they can't absorb it. It's as though Satan is putting this barrier around them and is just deflecting all of the great and the perfect news of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you. And you can't get through your your skull that God, the creator of the universe, adores you. You can't get it through your thick skull. For whatever reason, you're allowing Satan to win. To speak lies to you and everything else. Some of you need to hear that today. Because here's Philadelphia, who was small and worthless according to many, and they were faithful. He even tells them in these verses that we began with, he says that, He was going to come and help them and to be with them. He says, I know that you have but little power. Those are hard words to maybe even hear. Because somebody recognizes that you don't have any power. And you're like, I want to be powerful. He says, I know that you have little power. And yet you have kept my word. You've not denied my name. But here, there's a few things we can really take from this church. I want you to fill in the blanks there because I think they'll really serve you well over the, the course of the next several days. One of the things that we learned from this church is that they, they had little strength, yet they were faithful. They had little strength, yet they were faithful. And so many times, as I just said, you feel maybe as though you have little strength, yet you can remain faithful. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice that you make. I think so much about our relationship with God, and much of it is a choice that you make. Guys, I I personally, throughout my, I guess you could call it a career, right? As a pastor for 23, 24 years now, I've looked at it, and I go, you know, there's been times of doubt for me. There's been times of hardship. There's been many times where I've wanted to walk away from the ministry and just say, I love the Lord, but I don't necessarily love the church. And then people remind me, well, can you love God and say that you don't love the church who he gave his life for and there have been times of difficulty for me processing who God really is through hardship and through loss and things like that and I'm going okay what's really happening and um, I even think to myself okay you know really with the word of God with scripture I don't want to believe all of it sometimes (laughs) but I think it's a choice. I choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because He has filled my life with His warmth and His protection and His compassion. It's a choice that I make. And I think that was Philadelphia. I think they made a choice every day to be faithful, even though they were small and weak according to the world. But because they believed, they made a choice of believing in God, they were great in the sight of the Almighty. And we have to make a choice. This morning, literally, I, um, I got dressed. I woke up. My son, he does kids' zone downstairs and helps out with that. And he looked at me and he goes, so you're choosing to wear that today. I said, I think it's a strong color. He goes, it's pink. I said, it's not pink. It's salmon. <laughs> and I think we do the same thing when we wake up in the morning. We make a choice. Maybe not a Necessarily what we're wearing, yes, we choose that, but I think we make a choice of whether or not we're going to have faith in Jesus Christ. And I think some of us need to examine whether or not we're making that choice every day. If we're choosing to put Him on. They had little strength, yet they were faithful, they had no excuses. They could have easily folded and said, you know what, life is hard, life is difficult, there's not many of us, and so we're going to quit. They were going to take their ball and go home. But they didn't. We learned so much from this church. We learned so much from them in terms of even being encouraged to endure in the midst of hardship because they could have given up, but they didn't give up. They just stood tall in the name of Jesus Christ. They're the people because of their number, their, the, the scarcity of the number of people they could have been. Yeah, but people are making fun of us. They're giving us a hard time. Oh, woe is me. You know those people, the ones who are a woe is me all the time about everything. They're always going to feel like they're the victim. We know as a church we are not victims anymore in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are victors in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's start acting like it. You can't say that you have victory in the name of Jesus Christ and walk out these doors and act as though you have no power. You have the power of the Creator at your disposal. All you have to do is exercise these things called prayer. And I love the fact, please come and learn how to memorize the word of God from Pastor Jim. Let it soak into your heart, into your flesh, into your bloodstream, into your veins. Let it get so deep that every single time you speak, you're wanting to spew out the greatness of Jesus Christ. To me, that was the few people of Philadelphia, and it's an amazing picture. Amazing picture to see. It's truly remarkable. They had little strength, yet they were faithful. They didn't play church. Another thing he he addresses, the second thing he says, listen, you keep my word. That's what they did. They kept his word, unwilling to deny God. So often, when things aren't going our way, what we want to do with God's word and God's truth, you know what we want to do with it? We want to bend it. Right? Right? And so then we start being selective in what we want to hear and what we want to take as truth and not take as truth. We start to bend it. Well, you can't really, that, that's just for that time period. You know, he didn't really mean to love my neighbor more than myself. I mean, that was for that time period. That doesn't make any sense because God wants me to focus on me because I'm that great, right? That's what we've done today. And we start to bend truth and we start to make it, uh, really we take the scripture passages that we think fulfill what we already believe rather than going to God's word and asking God to, to allow the scriptures, to allow his word to shape what we believe, determine what we believe. Isn't that the way it should go? Otherwise, it's arrogant. Isn't it pretty arrogant to go, hey God, this is what I already believe in myself and I'm so great and so awesome. What I want to do is I only want to receive the truth that fits that, but everything else I'm going to push aside because it must have been gotten wrong. Really? Really? I mean, I've had someone say that to me, and I go, wow, you are so arrogant. Then It didn't go over very well. But I still think it was honest. Aren't we supposed to come before God and say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I mess up, but you've given your son. God, take my heart, Romans 12, right? And transform it into your image. Transform. Let my mind and my thinking and my actions be a reflective of your word, not the other way around. They kept his word. They were unwilling to deny God. I mean that's one of those things you know that everybody talks about the end of the life they just want to hear the Lord say well done my good and faithful servant some model it's something that he has spoken which is great and I love it man I tell you something that's right up there near it is if, if at the end of my life if Christ comes and says thank you for keeping my word that'll be a pretty good day for me because I believe his word is truth I believe his word is sovereign. He even tells us John 14 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. That's called keeping his word. And our refusal to keep the world at arm's length or the ability to really be able to receive God is crucial. In fact, our refusal to deny God is is directly tied to our understanding of God. So many times we deny God, so many times in our own life. When you go, you know what, I have two options here. I know what God really wants me to do, but then you start to bend the truth and you start to make it what you want to do so you can justify it, right? Maybe you've done that before. What you're doing is you're denying God, by the way. That's what you're doing. It's a form of denying God. And our refusal to deny God is directly tied to our understanding of who God is. Because here God is noting, he's calling out their loyalty. And the word that you give to someone is often determined by how you desire to be identified with them. I think the church in Philadelphia wanted to be identified with Jesus more than anything else. And that's a desire for Chapel Point. We want to be identified with Jesus more than anything else. But as an individual, you have to ask yourself that same question. Do I desire to be identified with Jesus more than anything else? Right? We want to be identified with all types of things. Maybe the place you work, you're proud of it, and you want to, you want to put that sweatshirt on, or maybe it's the school, Michigan or Georgia, or, and you want to wear that name across your chest, and you're proud of it. Right? Somebody says Michigan State, some of you automatically inside, a piece of you dies because you hate Michigan State. That's how tied you are to it. And sometimes we even do it in other forms and other ways also. Some of us are so tied to other things that there's no room to be tied to Christ, to be identified with him. Do you ache to be identified with Jesus? Like how do we get to that place of keeping his word and willing to obey him no matter what? What is it? This is where you go, okay, give me me three or four how-to's. I'm not going to do that today. This is what I'd like to do. I want to just speak with you very, very clearly that where you are, I want to make sure you understand that where you are with Jesus Christ is primarily linked to whether or not you're willing to surrender yourself. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's, it's pretty much around the board that the people who struggle the most in their faith are the, the ones who are unwilling to surrender themselves. Like, I'm looking at the church in Philadelphia, and I'm like, how is it that this little church is the one with no condemnation? They, they receive nothing but praise from God. How is that? And I think it's because they were willing to believe even in the midst of difficulty. They chose faith in Jesus no matter what. They acknowledged that he was the only door. And I think that's really where a lot of us need to get to. Are we willing to surrender fully to Jesus Christ with our heart? Are we willing to wake up in the morning and go, you know what, it's not easy, it's not always the best thing in terms of my immediate life, but I trust in Jesus Christ no matter what, and I'm going to surrender to him, I'm going to give him my heart, I'm going to be earnest, I'm going to be true to that no matter what. Is that where you are? Like, I want to take out all the the frills, I want to take out anything that could complicate it. Listen, guys, it comes down to this. God... Allowed his son to die for you, and you have to make a choice of whether or not you will receive that. And have faith in who he is. You can't earn it. You have to make a choice. But you need to know this when you make that choice, everything else in your life it will change. Everything else in your life will change. And some of you have gone part way, but what I'm here to say is really there is no part way. And we don't like that very much, do we? We, we know this drastic chasm that we painted, that here's God and here's Satan, right? Here's good and here's bad, and we think we live somewhere floating in the middle of like, I'm doing okay, I'm in the middle right here, I'm doing better, I'm doing, we know this. But God is very clear to say, no, you're either for me or you're against me. And we have a choice to make. I know that that is direct. I know that that seems harsh, but I'm not I don't have to make up stuff. It's right here for us. And I think Philadelphia, they obviously they were making the right choice. They surrendered their heart. They were just earnest in it. Irwin McManus McManus, he's a pastor out in California. And I found a quote from him that I think is very telling. I I shared it with you one of the first weeks I was here, years ago. And he says this. He says, the life of the church is the heart of God. I don't have it up here. I just want you to listen. The life of the church is the heart of God. And the heart of God is to serve a broken world. The church cannot live... The church cannot live when the heart of God is not beating within her. I think about the church at Philadelphia, and I just go, here's this church that has the heart of God beating within them. What a great image. What a great picture. They had little strength, yet they were faithful. They, They kept his word, unwilling to deny God. In fact, as we continue, we learn something else that I think is, is so powerful. He says, listen, behold, and this is verse 9 and 10, and finally he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. This whole synagogue of Satan, I know that that can be like, oh, what's that mean? It's talking about those that accuse them wrongly. The Christians were being accused of all types of things, right? Even Caesar was Claiming that they were the problem with the world and anything bad happened typically was blamed on the believer, the Christian. And so he's addressing some of that right here. And he calls out a powerful word in verse 10. He says, Listen, because you have kept my word, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Here's the, the third thing we can really take from it they endured. They just kept going, no matter what. I remember, uh, maybe you've ever heard of a Tough Mudder before. It's about a 12-mile run, um, and uh, it's a lot of fun It's because it's in the mud. And what it is is they run you through different obstacles about half a mile in. I did it. My... my my group left at 6.30 in the morning. That's when they sent us off. And half a mile in, there was that ice pool that you have to dive into and swim underneath the plank full of ice. And then they just do it like electrical currents they zap you with. As you It's awesome. Um, and they're all different things that you have to do. It's a, it really is a lot of fun because um, for I, didn't even, I don't think it's timed. Maybe it is. Um, I didn't see a clock. But what you're doing is you're just helping people the whole way, like people going up mud hills, like just nasty, they can't get up, you're making chains with people, holding legs to arms, and all this kind of stuff, and helping to pull people up, and you just keep doing it, and doing it, you help other people as much as you can, I remember, we're probably about mile eight, or nine, and this lady's like, I'm done, I can't go any further, call a stretcher, I was like, did you hurt something, yes, my pride, I'm like, I don't care about that. Come on. And so literally all of a sudden there's like four or five people who just start encouraging her. Part of it is you have to run half a mile with a 40-pound log on your shoulder. That's part of the run. And this lady, she just could not get there. She could not do it. And all of a sudden I'm on one end and another guy's on the other end and she's in the middle and we're helping her carry it. So we got a 40 here and then we're doing And you just keep going. And to me, the reason I share that story is because that was the church in Philadelphia. They kept enduring, but they knew that they couldn't do it alone. And so they had to rely on each other, and they had to rely on Christ. They had this patient endurance. They just kept doing it. They kept moving forward in the name of Jesus Christ. And so many of us have taken a seat somewhere, and we've never moved since. We've never moved since. And here's an example of Philadelphia and just their endurance and their willingness to continually walk forward and to come beside each other and go, you know what, I know you're struggling right now, but you are going to endure in the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to help you with it. I'm here to assist you. They endured. They never gave up. They were weary. They were tired. You know that they were, but they didn't give up. I love those people. I have so much respect for those individuals. And Jesus is writing to this church saying, thank you for being those people. You know, we can use words like apathy for other churches. You can't use the word apathy for this church. There's no way. There were few, but man, were they vibrant. So much so that we're talking about them 2,000 years later. And he says, listen, I'm going to come quickly. I'm going I'm to keep you from further harm. Just come and, and continue to endure. We are to be a pillar of the kingdom of God. That was Philadelphia to me, a pillar of the kingdom of God. They just kept getting up and helping one another to fall more in love with Jesus? And maybe that's the question we need to end with today. How are you helping others fall more in love with Jesus? This church amazes me. One reason is because I think this church models what it is to come beside people and pick up the log and help carry it. I still think that question is vital for us. In fact, let's go even further back. Maybe we start with this. Have you really surrendered your heart to Jesus, or are you trying to live life for yourself completely? Have fun with that because at the end of the life, the end of your life, I promise you this. You will regret it. Your name is not going to be remembered that long after you die, I promise. So have you really surrendered your heart to Jesus? And are you helping others see who he really is? Some of you feel small and weak. And you're like, pastor, I just want to be done with this Jesus stuff. Or pastor, I just want to be done with church. I want to... I just want to do things easier, and Sundays could be my day off, and I could wake up and just do whatever I want. Guys, I want you to be encouraged because here's the message of Jesus saying, listen, I know you're few, I know you're small, but you're enduring. And now for thousands of years, he's using them as an example to others of what it is to endure. Be the example. that the praise team is going to come forward and we're going to have an opportunity to share in communion. And as we do that, uh, and they sing this song, um, there's five different stations that you can go to. We'll have elders that are standing nearby as well that are also holding these. In fact, guys, you can go there now if you would. Um, You don't have to be, we don't expect you to be a member of this church, uh, but we do ask that you be a believer in Jesus Christ when you take communion. For us, the bread is symbolic of the body of Christ. The cup that we take is symbolic of his blood. And it reminds us that we take this because of the joy that we now have in surrendering our heart to him. And so we're going to have an opportunity to share in this communion together. And as you're going to have an opportunity to stand up and to walk in one of those places. And if you can't stand up for some reason physically, uh, if you would, uh, just raise your hand and we'll make sure we come. It would be our joy and our honor to serve you right where you are. But one of the reasons we do this a lot is I believe being a believer is about taking action. I believe the people in Philadelphia took action. I believe for too long the church has come and we have set and we've allowed people to pour into us and we've never taken action. I think that's that's the reason the church is where it is in this country today. The church is set too long. We are to stand up and take action. We are to respond to the love and the passion of Jesus Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus? That's a big question. Ask yourself, be honest about it. Have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus? Not a piece of it, all of it. Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? But then how are you also helping others see a picture of who he is? And so as we had this opportunity this morning, I want you to be encouraged by those words. That even when you feel small, the Lord will always be great. Even when you feel weak, He will always be mighty. That is my God. And He is an awesome God. Lord, I thank you for these friends. And so many of them, I just keep looking out and I see people who, in some way, feel small and weak. But God, I pray that you would encourage them and remind them that their faith makes them great and mighty because their strength is in you. And they trust in the might of the the almighty God. Encourage them, fill them. Give them a passion for you that is beyond anything they have ever known. Let's go ahead and take this opportunity as his church to go to one of these places to stand with us. As you take, you can go ahead, as you're walking back to your seat, you can go ahead and take the bread and the cup at that time. We'll do that individually today. Let us go.